Today I feel that the biggest complaint hurled at the church, the, the biggest criticism hurled at the church today is that the church is full of, or the church is made of, judgmental hypocrites. You ever hear that? The church is made of, 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 of judgmental hypocrites. I've heard that once. I've heard that a thousand times. Whenever I'm talking to somebody, maybe it's on Monday night visitation, uh, we'll start a conversation and we'll start to talk about the church. And they would say, oh, I, I really want no part of the church. It is full of judgmental hypocrites. Or we'll start talking and they'll say, you know what, I'm, I'm excited to hear about Jesus. I love Jesus, but I want no part of, of participating in the church because it's full of judgmental hypocrites. Now, when I hear that, I always kind of laugh because I think they think they're going to shut me up or they think they're going to maybe hurt my feelings. But my response is always, yes, and liars, and cheaters, and addicts, and all manner of sinners. You're going to fit in here perfectly, and that is why we need a Savior in Jesus Christ. One of, one of my favorite stories, uh, one Monday night we were visiting, and we were working our way down Cumberland Street, and I knocked on a door, and a man came out of the house, and he, he really, it was, it was about 6.30 in the evening. He didn't want to mess with me. I guess he had stuff going on. And he was kind of put out that I was there. He was kind of foul that I was there. And he, he came and he shut the door behind him. He came out on the porch of the house. And we started to talk there. We started to have a conversation there. And he really didn't want to hear all of this. But over the course of our conversation, I said, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, yes, I go to church. I go to Calvary Baptist Church. <laughs> I said, well, that's good. I'm the pastor there. But the most common complaint that I hear, maybe you hear, is that the church is full of judgmental hypocrites. Now, we could probably explain that away, and we hear that. We could probably start to explain it away. We could probably say, you know what, that's, that's probably an excuse that they give, and I'm sure that it's one of the excuses that people give. But I want to tell you, maybe today we should hear what they are saying. Because what they are saying is this. As the church, you're saying one thing, but maybe it appears that you're doing something else. As the church, you're preaching one thing, and we hear that, but when we watch your life, it looks like you're living another thing. And really what they're, what they're saying when they say that is, as a Christian, you're professing a change, you're professing a difference, when really we see no change. Really there is no difference. Today we resume our sermon series, It's Still the Church. And we are looking at Jesus' messages to the seven churches there in the book of Revelation. Today we resume the message from last week, and it is entitled, The Decidedly Different Church. The Decidedly Different Church. Today we're in Revelation chapter 2. Today verses 18 through 29. Again, Jesus is speaking, the decidedly different church, Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence and the celebration of the reading of the Word of God. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, Jesus is speaking. Jesus says this, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, 
and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and who he keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your kindness. I'm thankful for your grace shown to me as a sinner. I'm thankful for your mercy. I'm thankful for your love that is everlasting, that is eternal. I'm thankful for my Savior, Jesus Christ. And we, we come today, Lord, and our, our heart's desire is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. I pray now, Lord, as we begin to study your word, I pray that it would be truly a supernatural event. And I pray that you would speak, that you would lead, that you would convict today. And I pray that we, as your people, would be changed today. Lord, I ask that you move. We come now and I pray for help. And I pray for strength for a church. I pray for encouragement for a church. I pray for a church that, that is changing in the direction, the teaching of the word of God. Lord, I pray for some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ. And I pray that today in the preaching of your word that they would pass from death to life. I pray that you would work in their hearts. Lord, we love you today. We praise you. We worship you. And I lay this before you and I submit it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All throughout this sermon series, and I've said it every week, I've been saying that that my hope, my desire is that there would be a great impact from these teachings of Jesus. And I want you to understand the profoundness of that. Jesus himself is teaching the church. And so my, my prayer is that we would hear and that we would grab on to the truth, that we would respond to the truth, that we would walk in obedience, and that there would be a tremendous impact, a tremendous movement of God at Calvary Baptist Church. Now listen, that is, that's the possibility of this. That is the potential of this. If we'll adhere to and obey the words of Jesus Christ, if we'll apply them in our church, we could see a tremendous movement of God 
at Calvary Baptist Church. That's my prayer. Well, today we're going to see that if God is going to move in the church, if he's going to move in our church, it is going to require that we would be distinctively, decidedly different than the world around us. Now, there are seven messages, there are seven truths, but the the truth of this day is this. If we're going to see God move in the church, we're going to have to be distinctively, decidedly different than the world around us. And I I can say this today. I have had enough of the world's mold. I've had enough of the world's system. I've had enough of the world shaping, the world saying that this is what success looks like. I've had enough of that. This is what the goal is for your life. I've had enough of that. And I'm tired of a system that we watch today, the, the world system that's, that's producing people that look a lot like clones, people that have bought into the lie and they're, they're operating against the truth and they're, they're plastic and they're numb in their life and they're walking in, in pain and hurt and they've been sucked into the world and they've sold out to a corrupt world. I've had enough of the world system. And I personally believe today that the world is actually looking for the real. I believe that. I believe the world is looking for the authentic. I believe they've had enough of the lie. They've been hurt enough by the lie. And I believe they're looking for the truth today. And I'm talking about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe the world is looking for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And to be an agent of that truth, we have to be different. I believe the world's looking for hope today. I believe they've had enough chaos and they've had enough trouble and they've they've had enough hurt today and they're looking for the truth. But for us as a church to be agents of the truth, we're gonna have to be decidedly different as a people. Last week, we started looking at this church in Thyatira. We saw as we, as we looked into it that Jesus instructs John, the apostle, to record a message. It says, for the angel of the church, for the, for the pastor of this local church, and this local pastor is to deliver the message to his church. Well, we see in that before Jesus gives the message, before he gives the message, he presents this awesome picture of himself. Now, we read the verse. We're going to look at the the picture at the end of our message today. Before he gives the message, he paints this awesome picture of himself. Now, I've said this every week. That is an awesome thing. This is not John's description of Christ. This is Christ's description of himself. And so we have this awesome picture of Jesus. Then moving into the message, in verse 19, Jesus tells this church that he knows their deeds. What an awesome thing that is. Jesus knows the deeds of the church. He knows the goings on of the church. And so he tells this church, I know your deeds. I see your deeds. And he gives four things here. He says, he knows of their love of their faith, of their perseverance. Remember, it means to to stay under. He knows that they've stayed with it. And he says he knows that their deeds of late are better than at the first. Now, 
what, what he says is this. I see you're doing some awesome things. I see your love and I see your faith. I, I see your perseverance. I see that these things are growing. I see that these things are improving. They're better now than they were a year ago. They better are better now than they were when you started. You're growing, you're improving in these things. And so he gives them a very awesome report. I see these great things in your church. I see that these things are improving in your church. Then verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, last week we looked very closely at that 20th verse. And we saw that here in this 20th verse that this was a false teacher, that she was a self-promoter. She declared that she was a prophetess, that she declared that she spoke for God. And as this self-promoting false teacher, she led the people of this church, the Bible says, to participate in sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed Idols. Now, last week we looked at what that meant. We looked at those very specifically, but very simply, what she did was she took the truth of the gospel, she took the truth of God's grace, and she twisted it. She, she took the things of the world, the pagan practices of the world, the sins of the world, and she taught and she made them acceptable to the church. More than that, she made them even embraced by the church. Now listen to what, what she does here. She, she goes and she takes these wicked practices, these evil practices, and she teaches a, a distorted view of God's grace and she leads the church to embrace those worldly things. Listen to me. The danger of the world the trouble of the world is it always attempts to lead us back. The danger of the world is it always attempts to, to, to set snares and to, to pull us back, to, to lure us back. The danger of the world is it is always seeking to pull us back. And for some reason, even having tasted of the grace of God, even having experienced the forgiveness of God, we have this pull, we have this, this desire to value and to long for the things of the world. Well, this false teacher, this self-promoter, she takes this desire, this sinful desire, and she elevates herself by feeding it. Be sure today, that's what false teachers do. That's what false teachers promise. They take the, the things of the world and they, they make them appealing to us and they make them accessible to us and they make them approvable to us and that's what a false teacher does and we, we have this desire and for some reason, I don't know what it is, we've been saved by the grace of God but for some reason we always look back to the world and a false teacher comes along and offers and, and promises the things of the world. Paul says it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. For the time will come when they will not endure, it means bear up under. 
They will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They no longer care what God wants. They, they want teachers to tell them what they want to hear. They want teachers to feed their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Well, just like the Old Testament Jezebel led Israel to false worship, just like she led them to the, to the worship of Baal, false worship, this New Testament Jezebel, she was leading to false worship in the church as well. And the result of it is the pagan, lost, vile practices of the world began showing up in the redeemed body of the church of Jesus Christ. Very plainly, it's this. They began to look like the world because they were just like the world. And that's the result of her false teaching. That's what had happened here in this church. They began to look just like the world around them because they were living just like the world. Isn't it crazy today? And really, I think about this. Isn't it crazy that believers, formerly dead men and women, dead in their sin, dead in their guilt, dead in the crud of the, of the life of sin, accursed of God, enemies of God, but now saved because of the grace of God, saved because of the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, believers who've been redeemed and restored at the cost of Jesus Christ. Isn't it crazy that we somehow want to crowd the line with the world? Isn't it crazy that we still want to see how close to the things of the world that we can get. We want to see how much we can be just like the world and still be of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, saved, set free, forgiven, and we want to crowd back to the world and see how close we can be and somehow not cross some imaginary line. How is that? Why is that? Why don't we just flee from it? Why don't we see the hurt of it? Why don't we turn from it? I believe I'm going to show you why in just a moment. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Now, there's two radical things, two crazy things in verse 21. The first is this. God is gracious. God shows grace. This lady takes his truth and she tramples on it. She takes his truth and she changes it. She perverts it. She takes his truth and she prostitutes it for her own gain, for her own self-interest. And God gives her time to repent. Isn't that, isn't that tremendous? You know, it shouldn't be that surprising because it's what he does for us as well. We turn against him. We rebel against him. And yet he heaps grace on top of grace on top of grace on us. And so that's crazy. That's radical. Even her, even this woman, he gives her time that she would repent. Oh, that she would but repent. Now here's what's even crazier. She doesn't. 
She likes her sin better. She likes the pleasure better. She likes this sexual power that this system is promoting. She likes it better. She likes her sin better. And so the Bible says she does not want to repent. Here's a thought. Repentance is a choice. You understand that? Repentance is a choice. And when people won't repent, when I won't repent, it's because we don't want to. You ever understand that? If repentance is a choice, and because I won't enter into repentance, if you won't enter into repentance, it's because we don't want to. Now, we can, we can try and say it however we want to say it. We can try to explain it however we want to explain it. But the truth is this, we like our sin better, so we're not going to repent. So he says she, won't, she doesn't want to. Now, it gets very serious now as we head into verse 22 and verse 23. He's gracious. He offers her time to repent. She doesn't want to. Now we head into verse 22 in the first part of verse 23. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds and I will kill her children with pestilence. Three things. First is her, the false teacher. Jesus says, behold, behold. It means take a look, observe, see this. Don't miss it. Jesus says, hey, behold, take a look. I will throw her on a bed of sickness. In the Greek, in the original language, there is no phrase of sickness. It, it actually translates, I will throw her on a bed. Now, now what it means is this, a bed of sickness that will eventually lead in death. Now, what it, what it means is I will throw her on her deathbed. That's literally what it means. I will throw her on her deathbed. It's talking about her physical death, but more than that, it's talking about her spiritual death. Jesus says here, behold, be sure and see this. I will send her to death. And more than that, I will send her to a judgment and eternal hell. That's what he says. Second group. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. Now, it's not talking about the physical act of adultery. What it is talking about here is a betrayal of the truth. It is talking about an intermingling with the lies. It's talking about those who go to her and those who take in her falsehood and those who participate with her in her slanderous teaching or her slanderous falsehoods. Jesus says, behold, mark it down, see, behold, I will throw them into great tribulation. It literally translates into intense suffering. I will throw them into intense suffering. Folks, see this. She was lost. She was of Satan. But these are believers. Verse 20, it says that they are bondservants of Jesus. Jesus says they are bondservants of mine. 
these are believers who are taking in the falsehood, who are mixing the truth with the false teaching. Understand, she is lost, and so he judges her in death and condemnation and eternal hell, but they aren't lost, and so they are not eternally condemned. However, it says they will face great suffering. They will face intense suffering unless they repent. Now, I want you to hear this this morning. Following false teaching will end in shipwreck always. I think we tiptoe around this. I think we say, well, isn't close enough good enough? We say, well, their heart's right. Most of this is right. Some of it's not. But can't we just sort it out like that? Listen, following false teaching will end in shipwreck always, always, always. Following false teaching will destroy your home. Following false teaching, I've seen it, will destroy your marriage. Following false teaching will destroy the witness of the truth of the gospel. Following false teaching will destroy the kids that you're raising. Following false teaching will destroy your very future, your lives. Oh, maybe not at the start. But you rest assured, brother, you rest assured, sister, it is coming. When you follow false teaching, your life will be shipwrecked. Jesus says, and I will throw them into trouble and suffering. Unless they repent, we see his grace again. We see his mercy again. Unless they come back, unless they repent, oh, the call is always just turn back to the truth and repent. The third group. And I will kill her children with pestilence. Pestilence translates literally death. It, it translates this. I will kill her children with death. The New International Version says, I will strike her children dead. Now understand, it's not talking about her physical children. It's talking about those who have grown up under her false teaching. And now her false teaching has become their normal teaching. Their, their false teaching, her false teaching has become their truth. And so it is the truth that they hold. It is the truth that they believe. Now on top of that, it becomes the truth that they promote, the truth that they teach. What it's talking about here is they have been taught this falsehood. They have grown up under this falsehood. And so now they find themselves as agents of the falsehood as well. And Jesus says, and I will strike them dead as well. That's Jesus. Don't miss that. That's Jesus. Jesus says, I will do all of this so all the churches will know I am the one who searches minds and hearts and I will give to each one according to their deeds. I want to tell you, in as tough of words as we've ever heard, in as tough as words as we find from the mouth of Jesus, Jesus makes it very plain here. He desires a pure church. 
Jesus desires a holy church. Jesus desires a church that is distinctively different than the world that's around him. Jesus is making it very clear here, sin has no place in his church. But even as sin enters in, and listen, Christians fall into sin. Yes, Christians sin. They surely do. The worst judgment is for those who promote it. The worst judgment is for those who encourage it. The worst judgment for this church is for those in the tolerance of it promote it as well. Jesus demands a distinctively different church. We're not to look like the world. Verse 24. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Now, verse 24 shows us this. God is fair. He doesn't say, well, some of y'all didn't do this, but it doesn't matter. He's fair. He notices. He sees the, the goings on in the church. He knows who's gone in what direction. He knows what's happened in the church. And so he says, some of you haven't gone this way. Some of you haven't partaken in the deep things of Satan. And so he understands that. He sees that. Verse 24, we see God is absolutely Verse 25. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. This is an awesome verse. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Verse 25, he tells those who have, who have kept the line, he tells those who have upheld the truth, even as you see all of this taking place. And I want to tell you, it's a hard thing to stand when everything's going a different direction. He says, even as you see all of this taking place, even as vile as it is, even as unpopular as it is, hold fast until I come. The Greek word here for hold fast means to seize to aggressively seize. It means to, to lay hold of. It means to, to cling onto. Listen to me. Folks, the call of the church of Jesus Christ is that we would hold fast. The call of the church of Jesus Christ is that we would hold on, that we wouldn't melt away, that we wouldn't shrink back, that we wouldn't compromise with this world, that we wouldn't sell out to this world. And as everybody goes this way, as the world goes that way, the call of the church of Jesus Christ is to hold Hold on, oh church, hold on, hold on, hold on till Jesus comes. That's the call of the Christian church. We've become so weak-spined today, we want to turn and let loose and grab a hold of everything that's, that's passing by the, the call of the church of Jesus Christ as though all the world goes that way. Oh, brother and sister, hold on till Jesus comes. As a pastor, as an under-shepherd, let me just tell you, my goal is to lead as many people to Jesus Christ as possible. I believe that's my purpose. I believe that's my mission, to lead as many people to Jesus Christ as possible. Now, that's going to look a lot of different ways 
It's going to take the upholding the truth. But I want to tell you one day when they shut my casket or one day when Jesus comes again, I want there to be many, many, many people who found Jesus Christ. My goal is to lead as many people to Christ as possible. But let me tell you, the greatest thing that could ever happen in my ministry as awesome as that is, as tremendous as that is, the greatest thing I believe that ever happened in my ministry is that when Jesus came back, when the prince, the king of glory came back, he would find my church holding on. The call of the Christian church is to hold on till Jesus comes. Verses 26 and 27. He who overcomes, listen to Jesus, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Verse 27, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father. See the picture here. See the promise here. Those who overcome, those who persevere, those who remain under, they will rule with Jesus. Now, I believe it's talking about the thousand-year reign here because it is talking about the thousand-year reign here. I believe we're going to rule with Jesus there. But I want you to see the... The picture here. I want you to see how great this picture is here. I want you to see the promise and the hope of this picture here. Those who have been despised, those who have been hated, those who have been maligned so severely, those who have been slandered for the name of Jesus Christ, those who were minimalized in this life, those who suffered and they suffered and they suffered, yet they persevered. Now they will rule with Jesus. They will share the rule of Jesus and they will rule in his authority. What a promise. What a picture. Last week I promised you the best was yet to come. Here's the best. Verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. Listen. And I will give him the morning star star. Jesus says for those who've persevered, for those who've overcome, we've heard that they've received the victor's crown. They finished the race and they have the victor's crown. We've heard that they've received the white stone and that stone's been placed into their hand and when there's an award ceremony, they'll find entrance there into that ceremony. We find on that stone there is a new name, not a name that we know, but a new name written on that stone. Well, Jesus now says, for those who have persevered, for those who have overcome, he gives them the morning star. Folks, the morning star is Jesus. 
Jesus says, for those who've run this race, for those who've endured such hardship, for those who've stayed under, for those who've persevered, for those who've overcome, Jesus says, I will be yours and I will give you fully of myself. I will give you myself. Oh, I want you to see this this morning. All the way back in verse 18, Jesus describes himself. Says, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. Now I want to walk us back through this description. Feet like burnished bronze. See the picture. Cherry red, glowing bronze. Bronze means strength. Bronze means wisdom. Bronze represents power. Burnished means it's glowing like it came fresh out of the smelter's pot. It represents purity. It represents holiness. Understand these are the feet that will trample out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. These are the feet that will stamp out all impurity. The feet of holiness. Those are those feet. It says eyes like a flame of fire. Understand, these are the eyes that see everything. These are the eyes to which nothing is hidden. You see, Jesus sees the mind, and Jesus sees the heart, and Jesus knows all the motives. Jesus knows all the motivations. The world might be fooled, but Jesus is never fooled. And then he says, the son of God. This is stressing the divinity of Jesus. This is showing Jesus as God. This, this description, the Son of God, it is bringing to light His power. It is bringing to light His majesty. It is to bringing to light His holiness. It is to bringing to light His glory. He is the Son of God. Jesus is fully God. That's what it means here. Jesus stands and He is fully God. Stay with me. Remember in chapter 1, Speaking of Jesus, John says, I saw one like a son of man. Now listen, John says, I saw one like a son of man. A son of man, Jesus is fully man. In Jesus, God identifies with man by humbling himself and coming as a man, taking on flesh. He lives a life, he never sins, he does it as a man. As a man in flesh, he is tempted in every way as we are, but yet without sin, he does it as a man. In human flesh, he goes to the cross and he, and he suffers and he dies and he bleeds and he does it as a man. The Christ, the promised Messiah, our Savior, he comes as our kin, as our kinsman redeemer. He comes as a man. Listen, see that. He is fully man. But now Jesus says, not son of man, but rather he says, see me as the son of God. Listen, you see our motivation today is in how we see Jesus and some of us today need to renew how we see Jesus. Maybe some of us today need to change how we see Jesus. 
You ask the question, why would we have a burning love for Jesus? Why would we have a consuming love for Jesus? Why would we have a great love for Jesus like it was called for in the church in Ephesus? You ask the question, why would we bear up and bear up and endure and endure hardship after hardship like the church in Smyrna? You ask the question, why would we uphold the truth? The world hates the truth. The world rejects the truth. Why would we uphold the truth like the call to the church in Pergamum? You ask the question, why would we now flee from the world? Why would we distance ourselves from the world? Why wouldn't we get enough of this world so much so that we wouldn't tolerate the false teachings that lead to sinful action? Folks, listen, it is because we would see Jesus and now Jesus stands here And where is the son of man? He humbles himself. Where is the son of man? He's rejected. Where is the son of man? He's mocked. Where is the son of man? He's beaten. Where is the son of man? He's killed and his blood runs out and he dies on the cross of Calvary securing our salvation. Now he says, see on this side of the cross, see on this side of the grave. He says, see my power, resurrection power. No grave could ever hold me. He says, see my majesty, majesty of a crowned king, bring forth the royal diadem. He says, see my authority, the king of kings, the Lord of all the lords, the Lord of heaven and earth. He says, see my glory, see my splendor, see my righteousness, see my holiness. He says, see me, I stand as God. At the cross, the Son of Man gave himself for us. Now at this consummation, the Son of God gives himself to us. I can't understand either one of those. I can't understand either one of those. I can't understand how the Prince of Glory would leave heaven. How he would humble himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a man. How he would die on the cross, how he would go to the cross and he would die for me. I can't understand that. I want to tell you, I also can't understand how the Son of God, God himself, would present himself to me, a sinner. Oh, the grace of Jesus. Seems like it all hinges on how we see Jesus. We'll be that church if we see Jesus like that. We'll be those people If we see Jesus like that, we'll flee from the things of the world. We'll be sick of them. If we see Jesus like that, we'll put our faith in him, throwing our sin at his feet, asking for forgiveness, pleading for grace and mercy if we see him like that. How do you see Jesus? Let's pray. During Father, we come today, and I'm thankful for this picture of my Savior, my hope, my only hope, all that I have is in Jesus. I'm thankful that you paint a picture of a son of man who came and became the perfect lamb, 
doesn't sin, that he might be sacrificed on an altar of the cross. I'm thankful for the Son of God standing in risen resurrection power, standing as the reigning ruling king, robed in majesty. I'm thankful for the picture of my Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray that that would change my heart. Pray that that would change my mind and my resolve and my priorities. Pray that that would change type of husband I am, the type of dad that I am. Lord, let me see Jesus. Lord, I pray for Calvary Baptist Church. I pray that we would wake up. We would fix our eyes upon you. That's why you tell us that. Fix our eyes upon you. I pray that in the picture of Christ that we would march in unison, that we would serve, that we would proclaim the gospel, that we would uphold the truth, that we would hang on until you come again. And Lord, I pray for some now as we conclude this service that haven't settled it, who haven't put their faith in you, I pray that today in seeing you, they would set down their pride, they would set down their sin, they would confess, they would repent, they would profess you and call you as Lord because they believe it in their heart. I pray, Lord, that today they might be saved, stir in their hearts. And I pray all of it would be for the glory of Jesus, my Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.